trying to, you know, we're trying to sing some hymns here. One of the reasons we do that, just take it off a second, would you, for me, please, there, Ricky? Otherwise, I won't listen to me. Just back one second. One of the reasons uh, we do that is because we're not the new kid on the block. Okay? So one of the ways we do church, one of the things we have to communicate, we didn't come here, we weren't born yesterday. In fact, when was the church born? 2,000 years ago. One of the reasons we sing ancient songs, we say ancient creeds occasionally, is we want it to be established and known that the church has been here for 2,000 years. We have a history. We stand on the, sol- the, the soldiers, the, 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 these things here, of giants, okay? Of great men and women gone before us. And so that's why we sing these ancient songs and we throw them in every now and then to keep in touch with our history. It's why we have these confessions sometimes. Here's an ancient song written a couple of hundred years ago. If, you're, if you were born a couple of hundred years ago, I'm not calling you ancient. Okay? Okay, here's one. Okay, uh, Augustus Top Lady. Yeah, who has a name like that, eh? Uh, <laughs> but look at the words. Okay, it, it sums up what we're doing today, what we're looking at today. Look at those words. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. How do we come to Jesus? How have we come today? What are we bringing? What have we got to offer? What have you got to offer for the privilege of being here? He's teaching us, us, thank you. What have you got to offer? Nothing. Nothing of any value. You got yourself, thank you, David. You bring yourself, but we have nothing of any value to God. We have no currency on which to trade. If this is a trading floor, you and I, to be really hooked into Jesus, have nothing to trade. And the only way that we can therefore come is humbly with nothing, acknowledging that we come to God with nothing and our only hope and all that we can do is simply cling to Jesus' cross. It's where all the hope is. It's the only merit by which we can be here. When you stand before Jesus at the end of time and you're there, the only thing you have is to fall on your knee, to kiss the Savior and plead Jesus' cross for mercy. Augustus, top lady, captured the gospel and the heart of it. There's nothing we bring. We hang, cling, simply to his cross. That flight is Galatian. That is the message of Galatians. We looked at 2.16, chapter 2 last time, a couple, couple of weeks ago. And we, we, uh, we expanded verse 16 of chapter 2, and it sums up the whole book. We know that a man is not justified, and I've expanded it so we can see what this means. Would you read the purple? I'm going to read the white. Your job is a purple to read it loudly with conviction, please. We know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too 
have put our faith in Jesus Christ that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law because by observing the law no one will be justified. That's the message of Galatians. That is Christianity. That is what is wrong in Galatia. That is what is being fixed in Galatia. Moses is robbing people of their joy in Jesus. And Paul comes in and is rectifying this situation. And we've said this before, and I'll say it again. Out with Moses! Out! It's Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the only gospel. That is quintessentially the gospel. That is the faith. That is what your faith is anchored in. We don't need Moses. We don't need law. It's Jesus who's the anchor of our faith. And that is Galatians. And what I want to do with you today, I want to look at that with you further. Let me just quote. Look, don't listen to me. You know, I talked about standing on the shoulders of giants. Let me give you giants. The reformers. Who are the reformers? Luther? Tell us, mate. The reformers? Calvin, Zingli, Heidrich. Okay? These are the great men who stood against the Roman Catholic Church and says no. Okay? And, and, and they divided away from them and established the independent church, you and me. And we'll have the next slide, please. And they made these tenets of the faith, which sums up Galatians brilliantly. Solo fide, it's by salvation. It's not by the church. And it's not by Moses, it's by faith alone. Solo gratia, okay? It's by grace alone. Solo Christo. By Christ alone. That is salvation. Our, the independent church that broke away from the Roman Catholic Church began with the reformers. They coined for us what Galatians is all about. The salvation is exclusively through faith Grace in Jesus alone, and that is Galatians. I'm finally getting to it. Here's Galatians chapter 3. We're going to look at the first 14 verses in two points. Our first one is this. It's, sorry, three points. Our first one is this. Christ crucified. First point, simple one. Christ crucified. Foolish Galatians. Listen to Paul. In fact, I haven't said that very well. What is the exclamation mark telling you about how to say those three words? Somebody do for me. How, oh, can we have those words? How should look? There's the exclamation mark. It's been put in there by the translators. Why have they put it in there? Somebody say how that's meant to be said, because I didn't say it very well. That's it. <laughs> do it. It is. That's it. what he's saying. You foolish Galatians. He's not a happy chappy, is he, Paul, in talking to these people? Okay, can you see, can you see the tone here? Paul, Paul has already been angry with who in Galatia? Angry to his face? Peter. Okay, now he turns his anger, okay? He's now talking to the church, and now he's angry. You foolish Galatians, what's happened here? Why is he so upset with them? Because... What are they doing to Moses? They're giving Moses a belly rub. 
Okay? That's what's going on here. They're giving Moses a belly rub. And he's saying, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It's a strong term. It's, a, it's effectively suggesting, Paul is saying, you've been hypnotized. You're on drugs. You're not in your right state of mind. Okay? Who has bewitched you that you have forgotten what I imparted to you? He goes on, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I don't think Paul is suggesting that they'd seen Jesus crucified, although it's possible. I mean, this is within the lifetime of Jesus' execution. It's possible some of these Galatians had gone down south and witnessed the execution of our Lord. But, Jesus, but Paul's point is not so much that they've seen the event necessarily, but that it's telling us something about, look, you've, you've seen Jesus Christ clearly portrayed. What's that telling you? How? Someone tell me. Someone help me out here. How? What's Paul talking about? In which way? What was it that happened that clearly portrayed Jesus crucified to them? What was it? What was the vehicle that did that for them? It was the cross. What was Paul's vehicle for getting the cross to the people? It was his, his word, his preaching. So he's telling us something about Paul's sermons, okay? Remember, we've already been beating up on preachers that don't preach the Bible. I'm going to do some, do some more beating up on them. And look, I can do that because I'm a preacher too, okay? Right? And you can do that too because you have a warrant before God to be given wholesome food. Okay, so you have a right to do that. So, look, we're going to beat up on preachers and preach the truth again. Here we go. Look, what did Paul do? What flavors Paul's preaching? Before your very eyes, Christ Jesus was clearly portrayed as crucified. That can only be telling us that when Paul established and founded this church in Galatia, what was he preaching? Probably every Sunday and the ones in between. What do you think he was preaching? Christ Jesus crucified. Okay? He was preaching, he was presenting, look, clearly, that means he went out of his way to detail the details of the cross. He made it his passion. He presented Jesus. And this wasn't just a one-off, like Paul was having a bad day. You know, like he ran out of sermons. He hadn't got a sermon prepared, so he sat in his study on Sunday night and asked God to give him a sermon when he should have been studying the week. Okay? We don't go into our study Saturday night and ask God to drop us a sermon by magic. Sack him. What is the pastor called to do? 1 Timothy 4, 1 Timothy 3. 2 Timothy 3, is it? Study to show yourself approved. Okay? What do you think Paul is doing? So he's been studying the word going through it, and now he presents to these people this sermon. Was it by accident? Was it just a one-off? He's having a bad day and nothing to preach. He thought, well, I can't think of anything else. I know what I can do. I'll preach about the cross. No. Let me take it to Corinthians. Paul planted the, the Corinthian church. Okay, so let's see if this is serial, if this is a pattern. Well, how does he establish the church of Corinth? The answer's on the board to make it easy. How does he establish the church of Corinth? By preaching the cross. 
listen to him and listen to the gravity of what he's saying here. How, how, how Paul wants to know that when he arrives at a church, he doesn't talk about his life. He doesn't talk about how to get wealthy. He doesn't talk about how to feel better about your existence, how to improve your sex life, or to how to get on better with your colleagues at work. It's not how he established a church. That wasn't the thread of his message. The thread of his message was Christ Jesus and him crucified. And notice the extent of that and the strength of his language. I resolved to know nothing more with you except Christ and him crucified. So obviously hyperbole. Yes, you know, Paul would have had a much bigger expansion of biblical truth. But his point is that the central tenant of his message, that he was essentially, if you could, if you could label Paul as a one-trick pony preacher, what would that one-trick pony label be? If you could label Paul as a one-trick pony preacher, he would be a preacher of the cross. The kind of guy you don't want in your church because that's not a very appealing message, is it? Not in our world. Not in our world. And so, friends, here's the point. That Paul's methodology, his approach to gospel work, and it's the one thing he reminds the, uh, the Galatians when he's preaching to them, is that the gospel is centered around the crucifixion of Jesus. It's at the heart of it. It's what makes the gospel the gospel. It's what makes gospel preaching gospel preaching. It's what, when it is void, is no longer gospel preaching. You know, if I'm honest, preaching about the cross, it's not all that trendy. It's not really the message people really want to hear. But it's the message that people need. It's the only message that transforms. I could fix your life by telling you how to be more successful in business. But when you die, you may face hellfire. The only hope that I can impart to you of any lasting worth is Jesus Christ and him crucified. Christ crucified is a center, but why? Let me ask, okay, why? We've been laboring... It's the cross. But why? Why? <laughs> it's just an execution. Why? why? Why is the cross so central to the gospel? He paid for our sins. Thank you, mate. And Eric, were you going to say something? He paid for our sins. And that's important here. Let me show you this, okay? Why is it so central? Why is it so important? Listen to this, verse 21, okay? I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. So that's verse 1. We need verse 1, if I can, please, on there. Thank you very much. Verse 21, I mean, uh, um, Ricky, verse 21. If righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. So what is it that the Galatians are lacking? They're lacking justification to be right with God. Paul comes to them. If you can get that without Jesus, what happens to the cross? Nothing. 
It becomes void. It becomes empty. So the reason Paul is preaching the cross in Galatia, because he's demonstrating to them that that is the only means by which we can be right with God. It's Romans 3. This is something better for us. Romans 3. But now, a righteousness from God, which is apart from law, the law of Moses, because man is not justified by law, has been made known to us, which the law and the prophets, as Moses and the Old Testament, testified, they wrote it down. And we are now, now justified three, freely through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Verse 25, God presented him, and this is why we get uh, the cross does it for us. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement. Why is the gospel, the, so why is the cross the center of the gospel? So, would you go back a bit please for me, Ricky, thank you. Uh, someone explain that to me. If you can just have that, have we lost that verse? Maybe, maybe my power. Uh, somebody explain to me why that verse, would you turn to Romans? If you've got a Bible, would you, this is, what is, this is a good time to have a Bible. If you've got a Bible, Romans 3, verse 25. Would someone just read those words to me? Romans 3, verse 25. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement. Someone explain that to me. We're still on the first point. Yes, somebody explain that a bit further to me. So would you just, he's got to go right back to, to the first subheading, please, Chris. We're, we're on the second subheading. We're way too far forward. Somebody explain more detail. What is that going on about? He lifts you up back to God. Yes, how? Somebody explain a bit more. Romans 3.25. Pardon? He paid the debt. That, we're getting closer. Somebody expand that. He, that is it. He paid the debt. Somebody just expand, expand that a bit more, please. Be further back, we're still on point one. He's the only one. Somebody explain a bit more. Somebody explain Romans 3.25 to us. What was happening? He's the, the blood of the, what's the exact words? They'll come on the screen in a minute. Okay, yeah, it's, it's by, okay. The sacrifice of atonement. You need to go much further back, Ricky. Right back to point one, please. So, sacrifice of atonement. Someone explain that to me. Yes, okay, it's there, and there's a little bit more to it. Okay, let me give you the whole thing. There's someone very angry. God, okay, he's angry. There's only one way to remove, keep going back. It's right back. If you start the PowerPoint right at the beginning and then just move forward, it'll be easier. Okay, so someone is very angry. God is very, very angry. Okay, okay, the, his, his anger needs what done to it? There it is. Thank you very much. We just we got it there. There it is. Next one. Here it is. Thank you very much. Okay. Through faith, uh, God presents him as a sacrifice of atonement. He's very angry. How's the, what's the only way we can appease his anger? The sacrifice. What is that sacrifice? First of all, who set up that sacrifice? No, okay. You know, okay, let me start again. So God's the one who's angry. Who set the sacrifice up? God did. That's amazing. He's the angry one, but he sets up the means. He, what does he set up? What does the blood of Jesus' death do to his anger? It appeases it. Okay, it nullifies it. Okay, it takes it away. This term here is translated from a very difficult Greek word. Okay, it means, it's from an ancient word that the pagans did. When the pagans made their gods angry, what did they do to themselves to appease the wrath of their gods? 
They sacrificed their kids and themselves and all sorts of stuff. And it was a way of averting wrath. That is the history of that word. It means that when God's son was crucified, which God set up, okay, he was to God, he was having his son crucified, beaten and killed to appease his wrath. His wrath towards who? You. Okay? Towards us. So that's why, so let me ask you again, why is the cross so central to the gospel? It's the only, thank you very much, mate, it's the only way to get rid of his anger. We can't get rid of God's anger by merely saying sorry. It's not enough. If someone murdered someone you love dearly and they said sorry, would that be just? No. The only way that God's wrath can be appeased is that his son had to be murdered, killed, assassinated sacrificed to pay the price for sin. And it's why Paul argues this point. Look, I clearly presented Jesus to you because he's the only one who can appease God's wrath. In contrast to what in Galatians? In contrast to what? To Moses. Moses can never appease God's wrath. Only Jesus' blood. And so the cross has to be central. You know, in America, I, 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 I don't suppose it's so strong here uh, with the flag. I, I do see some Australian flags, but if you drive through America, there's American flags everywhere. And then when the anthem sung, they have their flags. Have you seen them? What are they like? It's a picture of the flag. What are they like? They saluted. I've seen grown men weep when the American flag goes up. It's almost as though they worship it. But what it is, that flag is the center of Americanism. It's, it's the history of how they came into existence. Whenever they see that, they fought for it. it they, they, they've, they, they, they've labored for it. They've sacrificed for it. And it's, it's the emblem that, that, that is quintessentially descriptive of being an American. The American flag. If you're a true American, you will have the flag waving on your property. What is the flag of Christianity? It's the cross. It's the cross. It's why our music group isn't standing there. There's no room for anybody there. But the cross. That's our flag. That's our banner. That's where it all happens. That is the mercy seat where a sacrifice was offered that appeased. How long for? How long did it appease his wrath for? Forever. All of God's wrath. Every last bit of it towards sin, from the sin of Adam to the sin of the last person that Jesus has died for. It appeases the entire wrath of God. It is our flag. And when that goes up, when we come and we see that, when we walk through the door and we're confronted by that, we should be on our knees. 
we should be better. We should be humble. We should be reminded of the cost of our salvation. It's why it's there. Don't take it for granted, friends. Can I encourage you, every time you walk into this building and see this up here, to take a moment and be reminded that my salvation is anchored in what that symbol represents, the cross. Christ crucified. We'll move forward, uh, Ricky, from on to point two, please. Thank you. Faith received. Faith received. How is the righteousness that Christ acquired for us on the cross? So he acquires this righteousness on the cross. He does all the work there. We'll move forward a couple of slides. I'm sorry, Ricky. Hey, hey, Ricky's doing a great job. I'm a terrible preacher to follow because I don't keep to my notes very well. <laughs> so thank you. Okay, we're going to move forward to point two, please, Ricky. There we go. Thank you. Point two. Faith received. Okay, faith received. Here's, here's one to ask, and the points are giveaway. Jesus has done the work. How is it passed to me? Okay, how does it get to my account? How do I become a beneficiary of it? How is it mine experientially? Someone answer. We're going to give you the answer. But how? It's, it's there. How do we get it? Yes, and as a consequence of hearing the word, what takes place? By the help of the Holy Spirit, what takes place? Faith comes. Belief comes. Thank you very much. It is, listen to this, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Let me say it in his Paul's tone. I want to learn just one thing from you, Galatians. Okay? Remember, this is the angry tone. I want to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit? What does that mean, receiving the Spirit? Yeah. What does he do? What does receiving the Spirit do? John 3. What does receiving the Spirit do? It makes us regenerate. Or the popular one, which has gone out of vogue these days, it makes us, two words, sounds like you're giving born again. Okay? Okay. What does the Spirit do? Makes us born again. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born of the Spirit. That means baptism in the Spirit. It means the way we came to faith was when we were baptized in Jesus' Spirit. That's what changed you from being completely disinterested in Jesus, thinking he was for religious nutters, okay, to all of a sudden one day thinking, wow, this is real. That's regeneration. That's baptism of the Spirit. That's when the Spirit enters your heart and makes you awake. Okay, and Paul is one to say, and it gives you, brings you to salvation. And Paul is saying this, I want you to learn just one thing from your Galatians. Did you become born again? Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? It's a, it's a nursery question. What do you call nursery? Kindy, kindy, kindy. Kindy question. I have to keep remembering what side of the world I'm in. I'm in the backward one, you see. You know, when everything's upside down, back to front. They're going to stone me now, aren't they? Okay? Uh, <laughs> protect me, please, people, okay? It's a very lonely world out here. All these Aussies, you know, Brits. Uh, okay, so look, oh, oh, what is it? They weren't born again by obeying Moses. How did they get born again? How did they come to... Fa- uh, come to Receive the blessings of Jesus? 
by faith. Can you see what he's saying? What, what are you doing, guys? Your journey started when I came to you, says Paul. I didn't come dressed with a big beard. I'm assuming Moses had a big beard. Okay? No, I came with a humble, weird, strange message about a man who had been crucified for your sins. So what are you doing now? Look, did you come to faith by Moses? No, you came by observing the law. It's what we said earlier, what the reformers coined for us. It was by faith alone. Here's what Edgar Andrews, a commentator from back in the UK, uh, this is what he writes, and it really sums this up really well for us. The coming of the Holy Spirit to the believer is the cause of faith. It's the first part, okay? The coming of the Holy Spirit to the believer is the cause of faith. It's what leads to faith. But the conscious experience of his coming is the consequence of faith, okay? That means, okay, the Holy Spirit in us is what brings faith to us. And coming to us, we experience the benefit of faith, the experience of faith, the knowledge of knowing Jesus, of having sins for being forgiven, of walking with him, of being made right with God. So Paul's point is this, is that the way they received the benefits of Jesus' cross was as the Spirit came to them, and he came in the process of not obeying law, not trying to please God by obeying Moses, but in the process of believing the word they heard. And in fact, Paul is going to say more than that. He's going to say something that Jews just really didn't understand. He's going to say to Jewish people, he's talking to the Galatians, but he's speaking to any Jew who's listening to him, your salvation was never through Moses. Your salvation was never through law. Your salvation was never by works. And he's going to cite somebody in a minute. Somebody have a guess. Paul is going to say now to the Galatians, you've misunderstood Judaism. Moses never gave you the law for justification to be right with God. Being right with God was always by faith. He was never by law. You've misunderstood Moses. Who does he cite in proving his case? Have a guess. He's going to prove that it's always been by faith, being right with God. Abraham. It's by Abraham. He's the founder of the faith. This is what he says to Abraham. Look, consider Abraham, verse 6, the next verse. Abraham, listen to this, believed God and he was credited to him as righteousness. How many laws had Moses passed when Abraham believed in God was made righteous? None. None. He wasn't even around. Okay? And yet, he was declared righteous, justified in God's sight. Why was he justified? Can anyone remember? On what basis? How many good works? How many times was he circumcised? How many, how many Sabbaths did he keep? How many good laws did he do? None. On what basis did God credit him, justify him as being right? He believed God. He never did a thing. Never did a thing. Never brought a thing to God. All he did was believe the word of God. And in that 
moment, God accredited him, transferred to his case justification. And so verse 7, he says, understand then those who believe are children of Abraham. That's a powerful thing. What did Jews believe? Who's their ancestor? Who they are? They're children of who? Abraham. No, 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 no. Paul is Paul must redefine who are the children of Abraham. It's not who has a blood link to Abraham who's a child of Abraham. Who is the genuine child of Abraham? The ones who believe in him. It's the same thing he says when he talks about circumcision in Romans. He's not a Jew who is circumcised outwardly. Don't think just because you've been circumcised that you're a Jew. That's what he says in Romans. Who does he say the true Jews are? He who's been circumcised of heart. You see, his point is physical ancestry to Abraham doesn't make you a son of Abraham. The only way you're a son or a daughter of Abraham is by following the faith and the example of Abraham. Understand then, it's those who believe. Okay? Not those Jewish people down in Jerusalem who are causing you all this trouble, Galatians. It's not them. Okay, remember who Jesus says their father was. Remember when he talking to the Pharisees? He goes, we've got Abraham as our father. And what did he say to them? Your father's a devil. Okay? You're not Abraham's kids. Because if you were Abraham's kids, what did he say? You would... Believe me. You see, see, your blood ancestry has a nil value when it comes to spirituality. Okay? I'm related to the king of Ethiopia. You didn't know that, did you? It has no benefit for me in Australia. It has no benefit for me in Ethiopia either because it's a lie. Okay? But, but right, okay. Hey, oops. I tell a lie, I'm sorry. Okay, look, here's the point. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. Verse 8, the scripture foresaw, okay, that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. What is that saying? Think about it. This is just brilliant theology. What's Paul saying? about what happened with Abraham and the gospel that they now believe and the intermittent period in, in between Moses, uh, the, the blip, if you like. What's he saying? Yeah, he's saying that. It'd be more, what's he saying about the gospel? When was the gospel introduced? Yeah, by who? Through who? Abraham, not Moses. What he's saying is that the gospel and how it works and how it functions and the details... Started with Abraham. Moses is an, an anomaly in between. The gospel started there and it transcends time and it comes to you and me now. It was always about faith. It was always about a response to God. When, when, I, when he said God's going to make Abraham a blessing to the nation, it meant that Abraham's style of getting right with God, what was his style? 
It was simply believing Abraham's style of getting right with God would go out to everybody on the planet. And so the, the, the whole world, the way they would get right with God was not by becoming a Jew. Not by doing kosher. But the whole way that the whole world would come right with God was by uh, through the mechanism that Abraham learned to realize and discovered, which is by faith. And can you see what he's doing? We're going to look at this later in Galatians. It's putting the whole of the Mosaic period as an, an anomaly to the gospel. And an anomaly to the gospel. It served the purpose. We're going to see in chapter 4. What did Mosaic law? It didn't serve it very well, but this was, it was meant to do this. What was his purpose? It was put on. I'm going to do a bit of this because if you're not here for Galatians 4, you may be thinking I'm a heretic. Okay? So just in case you miss the next sermons, just a, pre a preview. What did the Mosaic law, why was it put in there as a temporary measure before Jesus? What was his purpose? Yeah, there's a bit more. It is, it is that. There's a bit more. It is a guardian. What was he meant to do? He, exactly, Pam. He was to point to Jesus. He was never meant to be kept. He was always meant to point to Jesus. But the Jews completely misunderstood it. And then the Galatians finishes off, Now that faith has come, the law is out. Because it's finished its purpose. We'll do that in a couple of weeks in Galatians 4. But let me return to my notes. Verse 10. Therefore, all who rely on observing the law, here's the issue with the law. Listen to this. All who rely on observing the law, all the, Mos the, the Mos Mosesites, it's not even a word, is it? All those that follow Moses. Remember the Jews, how much they love Moses? We have Moses. What does he say? All who rely on Moses are under a curse. For it is written... Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. You know, there's something about the Decalogue and all of the Old Testament commandments. They're not piecemeal. What do I mean by that? They're not piecemeal. What do I mean by that? Yeah. One doesn't count. 99.9999999999% percent Does it count? The Lord is not piecemeal. It's a package. Okay? We fall short on one minute detail. And the whole lot collapses. It's why no one can ever be justified by the law. Because you could leave David the most impeccable I know it's hard to imagine, but the most impeccable life on one little thing. You know, a beard just slightly too long. Okay? <laughs> on one little thing, and we forfeit the whole lot. It's why Jesus says in Matthew 5, 18, look, he goes, I tell you the truth, and not until heaven and earth disappears will a single jot or tittle from the law disappear. His point is that when that law was given, every punctuation mark was valid. Every punctuation mark was valid. The law could never be picked at. It came as a whole, and to fail on one minute per 
element was to destroy the heart. Let me give you an example. Look, Lee's one of my you know, bestest buddies uh, today anyway. Maybe not tomorrow. We'll have the next slide, please, Ricky, and the next one. Okay, here he is. There's Lee, <laughs> and, uh, and there, there's Montez. So we're on our way to Ecuador, okay? And, and we decided to go for a walk up, up, up in the volcanic areas. I warned him. It could be dangerous. He wouldn't listen, okay? He's all excited. We got there, and hold on there, Ricky. We got there, and we got to this place, and we, our car was at the bottom of the hill. And what was just a river is now molten lava, Okay? And it may look, I mean, this isn't the scale. I mean, that was like, what, 30 meters long? Okay, what were we going to do? If we turned back, we were going to burn. If we stepped in, we were going to burn. So we thought we could jump over. So I thought, let's, let's try jumping across Lee, 30 meters. I mean, what's that uh, in, in, in old money? Not a lot. Okay, it's a lot, about 90 feet, isn't it? Uh, okay, so, so we start on edge. Eyes go first, okay, because Lee was too chicken. He wouldn't go first. Come on, you go first. Okay, so I make a run for it, okay, across this molten river of hot molten, okay, and I get halfway across. What happens to me? I'm dead. I'm dead. Well, Lee takes a moment to mourn, not very long, and then thinks, <laughs> thinks I can do better. He makes it much further than me. He makes it three quarters of the way across. How much better off is Lee than me? You see the point? The law is like that. You can make it to almost the other side. But if you fall short, you're condemned. And Paul's gripe with them is, what are you doing? Don't you realize this? You can get that far across and fall short and you're done. And so therefore, Paul is hammering home, it's by faith alone through grace alone, in Jesus alone, it's faith received. One final point, okay, and I'm going to close with this. I'll be very quick. I don't know what time it is, but I've bound to go way over my message. Yeah, I keep telling you, you. Yeah, I'm not surprised. I keep telling them, the, the leadership team, why do you pay me? I've got, you know, if you pay me, I've got, to, I've got to give you money's worth. Okay, if you dock my pay, I'd preach shorter sermons. It's that simple. Don't, you know, you know, don't take me literally, right? Okay? Right. But here, yeah, let me do point three, and then we'll finish quickly on point three. Point three, perseverance assured. Perseverance assured. I want to look at how the Christian journey continues. We've seen it starts with the cross. It's by faith. Okay, but now that I'm a Christian, now I need Moses. See, I didn't need him when I was getting in, but I need him now. Okay? Let me show you. Perseverance assured. Does God give you the Spirit and work miracles among you? Because you observe the law or because you believe what he heard? Why is, he working? Why is God working amongst them? Why are they continuing in their faith? Why do they still have God's blessing? Is it because having started with faith, now they're doing Moses to, 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 you know, to keep God happy? Or is it because they just keep believing? Which is it? What is, what is helping their journey in Jesus? Their faith. Keep believing. Keep believing. It never changes, you see. It never changes. It's the same all the way along. Faith is such an enigmatic, dynamic thing that it keeps working from day one. You know those Duracell bunnies? Someone once says, I'm one of those. I don't know why. I don't look anything like a Duracell bunny, do I? I'm not pink and I'm not 
Oh, I'm not pink today. Well, I'm not fluffy. Okay, I'm not fluffy. Okay. Why does this keep working? Why does the battery never run out? Because faith is so enigmatic and dynamic, so brilliant. It continues forever. Faith not only brings us in, it keeps us going. You see, what's happening to these Galatian Jews is Peter has stopped, uh, Galatian Christians, Peter has stopped eating with them. He's gone back to doing kosher, okay? Right? So what are they now thinking about their faith? And so what are they going to do? Peter's the hero. They've got to follow Peter. Now they're doing kosher. And they're doing Sabbath. And they're even doing, for goodness sake, what's the matter with them? They're even doing circumcision, for goodness sake. But what does that show about the heart? They're desperate to get right with God. On that. And so Paul is saying, look, guys, what are you doing? What's going on? It's not just faith at the beginning. You don't, you, God's spirit is in a work amongst you because you did faith and now you're doing Moses. It's a work amongst you because you keep on doing faith. You start with faith. You do faith in the middle. It's a bit like faith. Faith's one of those things that kills two birds with one stone. I think I've got a picture. You know, you know, we had that saying, kill two birds with one stone. Okay? Faith's one of those things that both brings us into relationship with Jesus. And when we're in there, it keeps us in relationship with Jesus. And keeps teaching us. It's amazing, and Paul is simply saying that, and I've nearly finished my sermon, is that faith is such a brilliant thing that it not only brings us into, into relationship with Jesus, it keeps us in relationship with Jesus. It's why in John 10, Jesus could say these words, My sheep listen to my voice, I know them, and they follow me. That's salvation initiated. <laughs> what happened? Oh, you missed it. You missed the picture. Okay, okay. I thought, I thought maybe I'm dribbling or something. <laughs> okay. Oh, there, yeah. Look, to kill two birds with one stone, right? Okay. Thank you. So John 10, 27. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. That's salvation initiated. And I want to show you salvation accomplished or kept. I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hands. What ensures that I not only get across the line, but I'm kept all the way to heaven. Jesus and faith in him. I want to say this to you, Christian. You do hear me say, and we don't want to undermine that obeying Jesus demonstrates that real faith has occurred. I don't want to undermine that. But at the same time, I want to get across that message to you today. Now, you are kept in faith, not by being good enough. You can't be good enough. It's impossible. You may miss a prayer time. You may miss a church service. You may miss some spiritual responsibility. You may do something terrible, say something terrible, think something terrible, look at something terrible. You don't go back to square one because you're not kept in your faith by any law, mosaic or otherwise, you're kept by Jesus. You're kept by Jesus. It's why, and I, and I started with this and I'll conclude with this, this is not only how we come to Jesus, but this is how we do the Christian journey. You know, I don't want to 
appear irreverent here, so please don't find this amusing. But we continue on the journey by clinging to the cross. We hold on to it. Every time I sin, I never make excuses. He doesn't want to hear excuses. I cling to the cross. Every time I'm out of order, I say something wrong, I go somewhere wrong, I do something terrible. It's the cross. Every time I feel a failure, every time I come to church and feel unworthy to be here, if only you knew what a terrible sinner I really was, I'm not saying to God, but I've done this much good this week. I'm just clinging to the cross. And in one sense, there's no words. Hold on to the cross of Jesus. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Amen. I wonder if the musicians could join.